Hello there, listener, and welcome to Fishnets and Philosophy. I am your host, Mix Bell Morgan, and I hope you'll join me on this journey of connection as we embark towards conversations that will be deep, meaningful, and insightful. So if that sounds like something you would enjoy, then sit back, put your headphones in, and let's get philosophical. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan, and I am joined by the wonderful Ogali Miss Dolly, who is the host of the What a Screen podcast and also a wonderful burlesker as well. So to introduce yourself, maybe just kind of start with like what your pronouns are, kind of maybe how you identify, and then just kind of if you could jump into what prompted you to start your own podcast. Um, so hi, I'm Ogali Miss Dolly. Uh, my pronouns are uh, she, her. I identify as a woman. Um, I'm AFAB. Um, and I started podcasting because my poor partner couldn't listen to me anymore go on about horror movies. And <laughs> I, needed, I needed someone to talk to. So I started What a Scream. Um, which is basically every week I pick out a random subject from myself and a special guest to talk about. We pick two films that kind of perfectly encompass that subject and we dissect movies um, within that horror genre and subgenres. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much I'm a massive horror nerd and I have all this random useless knowledge running around in my head that only fellow other horror nerds would kind of understand so that was the reasoning behind it perfect and it's a fantastic podcast so anyone who doesn't listen to it should start listening to it especially if you're a horror fan and um jumping in and because like the first thing is I was a guest on your podcast Mm -hmm. for the episode kind of talking about queerness and on that episode like you did like you know we talked about how you're a bisexual woman and your time is particularly in Australia like how you kind of almost felt like your bisexuality was almost for the entertainment of that peer group because it was a very kind of like man male dominated Mm -hmm. peer group so I'm just gonna like wondering like how did that experience kind of like affect your own kind of feelings about your bisexuality about your sexual identity did it like have like a negative impact on how you kind of felt about yourself um that's a really good question um for a while like I had so many other things going on at mm. that time um and I was I was pretty messed up especially when it came to how I would navigate relationships um I was kind of at a point in my life where I was very vulnerable and very susceptible to um, abuse and to especially like mental abuse and emotional Mm -hmm. abuse. Um, So I kind of felt like I was nothing but an object for men in particular. So my bisexuality, like, oh, I have to play this up if people want, if people like me, you know, that kind of the way Mm. I was very messed up. I was very easily manipulated and 
it took me a while to kind of figure out and to kind of come to terms with that my sexuality was my own personal thing it was for nobody else Mm. and uh, it was only through kind of up until I was like quite late in my 20s well I say late in my 20s 24 or 25 (laughs) I felt old by then it all feels like late after 21 (laughs) yeah that it was I I was kind of um I got into the burlesque and cabaret scene within Dublin and that scene is so diverse with uh genders and sexual identities and it's very open and it's very welcoming and that's when I started to feel a lot more comfortable with my identity and in regards to my sexual identity and that being bisexual like I'd always kind of grown up thinking that bisexuality was like it was like something that was purely sexual and it was all about Mm -hmm. how the world perceives you as a bisexual person and how you know other people will perceive you but it was only when I got into the community that I'm in now when I realized that bisexuality is not all about being you know the person that wants to get with everybody and you know she'll steal your girlfriend as well as your boyfriend <laughs> it's very much like no that's it's, it's what I identify as it's part it's part of my personality you know oh 100 and I definitely can like relate to a lot of that as well just with my own like bisexuality and like I'm still like kind of like I'm always like am I bi am I pan I don't really know because like it's like it feels the same for me so I tend to go with bi because that's what I first kind of came to as a term but uh, I've faced a lot about the same as well like any when I first kind of like was coming into my bisexuality back when I was like early 20s late teens I'd be faced with a lot of criticisms particularly from a lot of cis women Mm -hmm. but I'd like kind of be faced with oh that just means you're more likely to cheat and all those types of accusations and it was like greedy that was another yeah. one yeah <laughs> exactly and it's just like um it was just those kind of like accusations are just hurled mm-hmm. around just because as you said it's like bisexuals are just viewed as purely sexual there's no yeah. nothing else about it it's just that sexual part of it and I yeah. think that's what I think it makes like at least for me anyway as a bisexual person it like it's almost like I wear my bisexual label as like you know with extra pride in the sense yeah. that it's like almost like I'm protesting against those like stereotypes of yeah. bisexuality but actually I want to touch on because it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you onto the podcast is because of your in burlesque um, experience and being in burlesque and for me approaching it burlesque when I first discovered it was kind of a thing but also mm-hmm. kind of like stripping and exotic dance and stuff like that it really healed my relationship with my body and I was wondering when you first discovered that scene was there a transformation for yourself like did would you have had like a different relationship to your body before you got into burlesque and did burlesque change that for you oh absolutely so I've always been kind of uh, burlesque curious um there was a tv show on I think it was the sci-fi channel after like 11 o'clock at night and it was called like sex cetera. And it was this really cheesy, bad 90s show about sex and kinks and, you know, the world of sex basically. And they had Dita Von Teese on it. And so after that, I was really into Dita Von Teese and um, she was my gateway drug into burlesque. Um, but I never got into burlesque until um, I was about 
22 23 when I got into the scene through Dr Sketchy's art school which is Mm. um a life drawing class but they use cabaret and burlesque models so I got into that and then but I was always too scared to do burlesque I was always Mm. like I'm not good enough my body's not good enough I'm not a good enough dancer I'm not sexy enough blah 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 um I had a really, really bad, bad, bad relationship with my body. I had extreme body dysmorphia. I'd gone through a lot of eating disorders. I was very Mm. anorexic at one point. um, And I hated my body. I physically hated myself. I'd look in the mirror and even from like as early as like 10 years old, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I just want to cut all my skin off because it's gross. It's disgusting. So I was very, very dysmorphic. And then I got pregnant. And I had my child and I put on weight, as you do after you have children. And I got really bad postnatal depression. And again, it came back to my body image. Mm. And that's how it presented itself. And one thing just struck me and I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking take up burlesque because I don't want to go back to the life of continuously hating my body because it stopped me from doing Mm -hmm. things. I wouldn't go out or I wouldn't have a good time on nights out because I was too busy worrying about what I looked like. Um, And, you know, I was, I had internalized fat phobia where I was like, I don't want to be fat. The worst thing I could ever be is be fat and unlearning all that behavior. And then doing burlesque, becoming involved in burlesque shows, watching burlesque, and you see all different types of bodies And they've all got the same charisma, the same confidence when they're up on that stage. And it's so inspiring. So you know what? I can't let myself get into a pit of despair. I need to do burlesque. And that's pretty much where I am now. (laughs) Firstly, thank you for sharing. That's a really like powerful story. And I like really like touches home as well. But yeah, no, I like I. I'm not a burlesker. I'm like, in the sense that like I've done, I think a few classes that you've taught through Zoom, not even in person classes. I know, so I know soon, I'm just like, exactly. It's just like soon we'll be able to. But um, just even the little bit of like those classes, but also just kind of attending shows, like mm-hmm. ones that you've performed up, then other shows. And you're right. It's just seeing that confidence, even through the online shows, you can see it exuding yeah. from those performances and people of all genders all body sizes and you that confidence thing and it really is inspiring and I think for me it was like kind of I got into discovering like burlesque is this thing around the same time that I was starting to like kind of accept myself as a non-binary person Mm -hmm. so it was almost like the two of them fed into each other in the sense but the second that I realized that I was non-binary and a lot of the things that I had the feelings of my body kind of fell away and were replaced with you know what it doesn't really matter what my body looks like I can still do all this moving in a sensual sexy way and yeah it really like discovering burlesque and other forms of sensual dance sensual movement Mm. it really is transformative like it really kind of brings you back into your body and I think to go philosophical on a philosophy (laughs) on a fist and philosophy podcast but I think so much of our problem with a lot of like kind of mainstream society and the messages that we get is it almost kind of harkens back to the original like you know Descartes back in the Renaissance era with the whole thing of like 
you've got your mind and the body and they're separate. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of that we're just these mental creatures. Our body is just the flesh prison that <laughs> carries yeah. us around, but that's it. Yeah. Whereas like, well, no, we're in our bodies. We're embodied beings. So I think finding a way to come back to your body is so mm-hmm. transformative. So yeah, I love that. I had that experience for you and it's yeah. having that experience for me as well. But speaking about coming back into our bodies and um, I think like burlesque and sensual movement and a lot of people who are who are burlesquers who are sensual movers <laughs> strippers mm. any of those other kind of um terms are really kind of at the forefront of a lot of the body positivity movements as well mm. and I'm wondering what you think because my the way I think of it look at it is that I feel so much of these things whether it's like sex positivity body positivity so many things are just constructed in binaries because that's what humans Mm. love to do we love to have one or the other you're either completely in love with your body and love everything about it or you completely hate it Mm -hmm. you either completely love sex all the time and shouting about it from the rooftops or you hate it there's no nuance or in between so I'm wondering like what do you think do you think that we the body positivity movement is can sometimes be almost toxic in its positivity and not allowing for that nuance of like yeah I'm like growing to love my body but I don't love all aspects of it like what Mm. do you think about it as someone who like would be kind of attached to the body positivity movement as a whole um so the body positivity movement was actually started by black fat queer folks um Mm. and it was started as a way to combat what the large like the wider society, what media, what social media determines as the norm, which is thin, mm-hmm. white, able-bodied, um, cisgendered. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great when it started, but as a lot of movements get taken over by the cis, white, thin, um, able-bodied folks, yeah. and it's come to a point where, like you said, it's become, there's such a thing as toxic positivity where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all about that positive mental attitude and you've got to be positive hundred percent, 365 days a year, every single year, all the time. But that's not human. Mm -hmm. You cannot positive and you cannot be all guns ho all the time. So, uh, Although starting off the body positivity movement was really good and it was all about, you know, environment. Now there's a movement called the body acceptance and it's the same with sex. Mm-hmm. You can be sex positive, but not all sex is great and not everything's great all the time. So it's come to this point where it's acceptance, where it has taken the form of a journey where you've gone from perhaps really hating your body because what social media and media have given us as messages Mm -hmm. and you've come to the point where you're like right I might not love my body every day I might still wake up and go oh my god like what is this meat sack doing to me today but you don't hate yourself and you don't wish you were thinner or wish you were you know able-bodied or wish you were white or blah 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 you Mm -hmm. wake up and you say I accept this body for what it is and this is my journey And that's kind of how I feel at the moment is that, you know, I don't have to think I'm the shit all the time, but as long as I'm not hating myself and, you know, uh, letting it ruin my life, basically. So that's where I'm kind of at with that term. 
at the moment, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And I, that's, I think, where I am as well. Like, And uh, it's like you said, when it comes to the, even like on the sex side of things as well, you know, the way I kind of like, and I talked about it on a different episode and I recorded the other day, but it's the idea like that it's only sex positive or sex negative. Like mm-hmm. it's just, I just hate binaries as a non-binary yeah. person. I hate yeah. binaries. I'm just like, we need to do away with them. But yeah. it's, I think a lot of people view sex positive meaning that you have to be completely yay sex all the time. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. It's yeah. more, you can be sex positive, but not necessarily sex enthusiastic exactly, in the sense yeah. that like, you'll be sex positive in the sense that you're not going to yuck someone else's yum. You're not going to yeah. shame someone else's sex once it's consenting and everyone's, yeah you know everyone's on board you're not going to shame someone else's sex no matter whether they're having completely vanilla completely kinky all of the lots of sex or very little to none you're not going to shame someone yeah but you don't have to like be the like if someone else is like shouting from the rooftops you don't have to do that and the other way around as well I think that's what that movement needs to go towards and I think it kind of start is starting to but it is that thing of I think especially on social media it really pushes that binary of that you're either in one camp or the other. You're either all in this camp or the opposite. And actually coming to social media, and I think it's something that creators like yourself and even I've noticed it on my own accounts, it's one of those things like any type of creator on social media that's either is a sex worker or is a sex educator or is just encouraging body acceptance body positivity it's like social media just automatically targets you and Mm. social media is like trying to keep that societal shame in place Mm. (laughs) and it's just how do you think we can kind of shift away from that to the place that social media will just allow adults to (laughs) to be adults (laughs) I don't know that's really it's really difficult to kind of figure Mm. out I mean I think as long as people make enough noise about it um they'll eventually have to bend to you know like you can't can't be silencing sex workers you can't be you know there's um oh there's a a pinup model that I follow Miss Kitty Catalan I think her name is don't quote me on that but um she has uh breast cancer and she's had mastectomies and she's very you know um an activist for kind of breast cancer survivors and um, mm. people who have breast cancer and her all her photos keep getting taken down because she's sharing photos of herself she's had mastectomies and it's like it's just I don't understand how that can be taken down and you know sex workers who are just trying to make a living who are just trying to live their life um, fat folks who are just trying to live their life like all of these people get targeted and taken down, but yet folks who are like, like hate speech and racist mm-hmm. talk and like misogynistic talk and all this kind of crap, like they're fine. They're not like, you know, it's just, it's yeah. mind blowing. It's mind blowing that on Instagram, someone can say, I hate men and their post gets taken down, but a man can like say he's going to, you know, rape a woman or whatever. And that will be left up. Like that's not against. So I don't know. I think, <laughs> until social media isn't run by cisgendered white men we kind of just keep having to like fight the fight to be honest like you know yeah no 100 that really comes down to the crux of it whether it's social media 
the fashion industry, kind of any industry really yeah. within our capitalist society where the top is literally as white mayonnaise straight as you can yeah. get. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's going to be no consideration for any kind of difference. And yeah. it is, you're right. It is so frustrating that like someone who's queer, someone who's disabled, someone who's like trans, just like fat, any kind of deviation from what's considered yeah. norm, they just try to exist and get penalized. But then yeah. you have someone literally committing hate speech. Oh yeah, no, that was grand. And yeah. then if you criticize the hate speech, you get taken down for hate yeah. speech. It's just like there's no winning. Yeah. But like that's the other thing as well. I think with social media is that which always like grinds my gears. And it was the same with TikTok and it's Instagram, all those ones that they'll use sex workers to mm. gain traction to get popular and yeah. then the second that they're big and they're kind of they've expanded into the general populace they yeah. just like shut that barrier and they start to, like you know thanosing <laughs> to use an yeah. avengers reference thanosing yeah. sex workers everywhere mm. you're right it is like cha- a tough change at the top whether that will happen or not who knows but hopefully it will get to a point but certainly i want to kind of circle back to what we were touching on earlier about kind of like bisexuality for yourself how much bisexual like bi erasure a part of your daily lived experience um like is it something that happens to you or did it used to and it no longer does um I don't really think about it anymore but I suppose it does like I am in a heteronormative relationship mm-hmm. um and you know I have a child and you know it's very heteronormative but like I suppose I guess not from other people but from myself especially when it comes Mm. to like like queer issues I almost feel like I don't have a voice because I have a heteronormative relationship and who am I to speak because at the moment I'm not in a relationship with another gender I'm you know I'm in a relationship with the opposite gender with a male person um Hmm. so I kind of feel like I almost erase myself from not speaking up and going well like I am a queer woman and I'm actually getting a lot better with it I used to silence myself a lot Mm -hmm. I mean and obviously being like a white cisgendered woman I know when to you know well I I try and you know step back and you know only speak when it's suitable for me to speak but Mm -hmm. I am I am working a lot harder on speaking up as my experience as a queer woman like um so yeah not so much from um like my my community which mm-hmm. I guess is the pin-up and the burlesque community within Ireland because they're very open because I know so many more um bisexual and pansexual people mm-hmm. that are in gender relationships and so I know so many people like that that I am accepted and we've all got voices but yeah I guess it's myself that I kind of silence a lot something that I've like you know experienced for myself as well in the sense that I've never like had a relationship with someone of the well now I'm non-binary so is there such a thing as same gender for me I don't know (laughs) but I've never had a relationship with a man particularly when I was a cisgender man and because I never had that relationship I was kind of like am I bi? Like, as in, can I classify as bisexual? Like, as in, I know I'm attracted, but because I've never had that relationship, I've never had that external validation. Do I count as bi? So yeah, it it is, it really is so much of it is that kind of internalized Mm. messaging. And I think that's just because of the way we are socialized, like society 
teaches us to just have so much internalized almost shame particularly mm. I think in Ireland like mm. for me like I just like Ireland is a very sex negative society and oh, sex negative yeah. culture and like yeah. I, the reason I think it is and I'd say you probably would agree or you might um is because we're still as a society kind of like suffering is the word I would use um, yeah, under the shadow of the catholic church yeah, as in just yeah. the way the influence of the church on our society but i'm like i'm kind of like wondering like particularly for yourself as like a parent of a young child how do you think that in ireland we will have that shift to a more not even fully sex like a 100 sex positive but just kind of like sex acceptance sex positive and um, perspective which includes a comprehensive sexual education program that touches on the importance of consent and emotional connection like how do you think we will have that shift as a society like is that something that kind of concerns you as a parent like knowing what type of society a child is coming into hope that by the time my child is um you know in like sixth class or something they'd have some Mm -hmm. form of Uh, sexual education that involves consent that involves queer relationships that involves um, trans education that it's not just like wear a condom don't have sex before marriage don't have an abortion you know that kind of crap that we were taught Um, but at the same time it's up to me Mm -hmm. his dad to be to educate him basically and obviously age appropriate but it's important to start pretty much now um, Mm -hmm. teaching about consent and, you know, no, don't touch that other child if they don't want you to, you know, saying to him, can I give you a kiss or can I give you a hug? And if mm-hmm. he says no, we say, OK, that's fine. Hope that the rest of my generation, as we become parents, if they choose to do so, would also have that same, you know, we're, we're kind of lucky in a way, my generation of like parents, because we have social media. Mm-hmm. No, so we we form communities online of like-minded parents there's so much information about teaching children how to teach children consent how to teach children about you know x y and z so we're really lucky in that way but it does boil down to what you teach your child from the get-go mm-hmm. and when it comes to consent about their own bodies about other people's bodies when it comes to you know if they have questions don't like blanket over it you know if they say like oh why why is those two men holding hands you know in case they have this kind of question don't be like oh they're together you know they're partners um even there's so many books we've got nate this really good book um i think it's called i don't want to be teddy anymore it's about this little teddy bear that decides they're not called teddy they're called ella and Mm. So we read that a lot. There's tons of books, like age-appropriate kids' books out there that touches on gender and sexuality and consent. And it's just, just go out searching. And, you know, hopefully we bring up a better generation of kids. Like Just see from alone, like uh, particularly on TikTok, but just social media in general, like you can see it with the younger generations. Like even my yeah. sister's generation, like my sister is just 19. 20 like a, yeah. <laughs> it's still, still like a child in my yeah. eyes but yeah. <laughs> because it's the youngest but even my sister's generation is so much more inclusive mm. than like when I was that age yeah. you know so it is 
like there is give I'm getting a lot of hope seeing what you know a lot of that and you're uh, that's another brilliant point which I love that it's something that you're incorporating because I think particularly it feels like it's something that Irish families are not great at in general and um, but that thing about the consent doesn't it's not just like a sex thing it's your yeah. body itself thing yeah. and you know incorporating like asking is it okay to have a hug and stuff like yeah. that like that is so important yeah. and like I've like definitely you know my generation when I was a kid it was you'd get, <laughs> you'd get hugged left right and center by yeah, family know, members yeah. even, though you might not even though you might not yeah. have wanted to yeah. and yeah it, it's great to know that there are more parents that are incorporating that this is actually one of them and it's actually one that you touched on one of your podcast episodes and um, I think it was when you interviewed the director when you talked about the episode about like Rosemary's Baby yeah Ashlyn Clark yeah yes yeah. that's that uh, another great episode on your show yeah. the question I have is like something that I think that kind of like any cinephile or avid book reader or even music fan will what almost feels like inevitably now <laughs> come up against is that ethical dilemma of art versus artist yeah <laughs> like it just feels like it's almost unavoidable that there's know, going to yeah. <laughs> from my perspective I think and I'm wondering what you think on it I think that that separation can only occur if you are not of the affected group in the mm-hmm. sense that say for me like say there's like a you find out that the director or the author particularly the author of a fantasy series I used to love turns out to be a transphobic bigot yeah my myself as being part of the trans community as a non-binary person I just can't bring myself to read Harry Potter anymore or even find much enjoyment from the films and I think the reason that it's hard like I can't have that separation is because I'm part of that community. I mm-hmm. feel that hurt personally. But I think someone who might be cis, who isn't directly affected, might easier be able to kind of ha- do the mental gymnastics to justify that separation. Yeah. So I'm wondering what you think. Do you think the separation can only occur if you're not directly affected? Or do you think it's like a case by case basis? I don't know. It's such a hard question. Even when I discussed it with Ashton, I was still like, I don't know. <laughs> Like, so let's take the example of Roman Polanski's uh, mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby. So Roman Polanski was a terrible piece of shit. Like, no matter what people say, no matter what people try and defend it, like defend him over, he was a terrible piece of shit. The thing with Rosemary's Baby is it was written by someone else. It's a book originally. And everyone who worked on that film, who, you know, did the amazing cinematography, who was acting amazingly in it. Mm-hmm they didn't know what he'd done and so Mm -hmm. they made this film amazing but it's the people that worked with him afterwards yes and the films that were made afterwards and the money Mm -hmm. he got to make the films and you just think you knew what he did but you still wanted to work on so you've got Rosemary's Baby that is a classic in my opinion and those you know it was more than Roman Polanski that worked on that film and I can Mm -hmm. kind of I can separate it that way but when you've got people like the director of Jeepers Creepers, he was a convicted mm-hmm. pedophile when he made Jeepers Creepers. People knew that about him, but yet they still made Jeepers Creepers. They still worked with him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's why I can never watch Jeepers Creepers. Um, you know, 
it's it's the same with like musicians and especially at the moment there's like Marilyn Manson and mm-hmm. there's always things coming out about uh pop, like I'd be very big into punk and pop punk mm-hmm. and there's always stuff coming out about pop punkers and they all seem to be massive ball bags but um and I I find it very difficult to listen to their music Mm-hmm. Um, because it's their words, it's their world, it's their lyrics, it's their mind that they're talking, it's them. Like music and lyrics are an embodiment of a person's soul. So mm. how, how can you carry on listening to this person when you know they're a rapist or they're racist or they're misogynistic piece of shit who preys on young children almost? How can you listen to that music and listen to their words and just not want to throw up violently, you know, that kind of way. Like, I was the biggest Marilyn Manson fan in the whole entire world. His music got me through some really dark, dark, dark times. Mm-hmm. But now, if anybody put his music on, I'd want to claw my ears out because, like, whoa, no, it just gives me the heebie jeebies. So, I think <sighs> it is, it can be case by case, but a lot of the time it's just black and white. Like yeah. why why would you want to listen to art or music that's done by someone you know is a piece of shit when there are so many other artists and musicians who aren't hopefully pieces of shit like you know? exactly no 100 <laughs> and the way you say hopefully like it almost feels like especially when it's a cis white man like yeah, you just right? kind of expect you expect there to be some form of a bad like story or something like that but also there is definitely a lot of bad actors within the queer community as well particularly it's like it seems almost particularly within almost like the social media youtube side of things Mm -hmm. particularly like say james charles or jeffree star shane dawson again they all the common denominator is white so maybe that's just the end of the day the problem but i think you're right in the sense that maybe it depends on the medium because yes with a movie it is a mm. it is a collaborative piece yeah. so I but I do agree in the sense that like now I think anyone justify working or standing up for Woody Allen after all yeah. the allegate like anyone yeah. who can think that yeah I'll still work with this person then automatically you're just like okay no now you're also a piece of shit yeah. because it's I like, mean the fact that he like married his former adopted child or stepchild like no there had to be grooming on that part like I'm sorry no you cannot defend that man no and like (laughs) and like that alone is very disturbing behavior but then he also abused his actual daughter so like yeah it's just so much no but yeah yeah, it, it I think it is that thing it's like it's almost like before kind of it, it is it's like a break before allegations mm. come out or stuff like that you can find it easier to, well this thing was made before we knew that about the person yeah. but this thing was made after so it's like yeah it's that break of like past things yeah I can maybe be able to still sit through it depending on I think it is case by case but yeah it yeah. is such a tricky thing but yeah it is just so tricky like there's yeah. no way around it and coming back to movies in a different trajectory now, this is another thing I have written down. I'd say you'd probably have your own opinions on it. But um, something I think that horror fans in particular are almost like mm-hmm. subject to experience is remakes. Like of more than any other genre, it's the one genre where they're just like, we're going to throw out another. And on this, where do you sit in that camp? Are you completely against them altogether? 
is it more of a film by film depending on what they'll do or like are you like yeah they're completely fine like where do you sit with it so I really enjoyed Rob Zombie's Halloween remake the first one mm-hmm. um I I liked it because I was a big fan of Rob Zombie at the time. I really liked his House of a Thousand Corpses and There Was Rejects, and I really like what he brought to the Halloween lore. But uh, it's just not needed. You know, when they started to remake like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and Halloween again, those films are already massive. They're already mm-hmm. such canons, such cult classics what's the point in doing a remake because they're still it's not like they're films that everybody's forgotten about you can still watch them and you can still relate to them you can still have a laugh or you can still be scared by them there's just no point there's no point remaking them and it's boring the only kind of remake that I'm slightly excited by well not slightly quite excited by is Candyman because Mm -hmm. I think from what I've seen in the adverts, rather than just doing a basic remake, they're bringing it into the modern era, and they're almost tell- there. It's it's not really a remake; it's a, a sequel. It's a sequel, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I hate and like one of my biggest pet peeves is when America remakes other nations. <sighs> See it a lot with Asian films. So we had like mm-hmm. The Grudge, Ring, Shutter. Um, a shitload of others that they keep trying to remake old boy was another one there's the great thing about a lot of asian horrors is it's set so culturally within mm-hmm. that culture within that country that every story it wouldn't make sense in someone else's culture and mm-hmm. it's not as effective and it's not as scary and it's not as hard hitting it's not as emotional that's why in a lot of asian horror it's so much more emotional and so much more gripping than the american ones because it's taken out of context like just read the fucking subtitles <laughs> mate just read the fucking subtitles <laughs> it just almost feels like this lazy thing of i don't want to watch a movie with subtitles so we're yeah. going to completely remake it yeah it's like and also as well it just it screams of that classic cash cow kind of like hollywood we just want to make money off this thing like especially yeah. when it's like an intellectual property like yeah. friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street yeah. which those ones like I just don't understand even trying to remake because those figure like Freddie, like Freddie and Jason, they are so part of pop culture that people who haven't even seen the films know who they are. So like, it's not like it's needed. And like, the thing is, I think it's almost a problem of like the way modern films are kind of made in the sense that so much of it is about, Oh, we can CGI everything. Everything can be done in the computer. So let's just do that. And it's like those films still stand and hold mm. up because the practical effects were amazing. Like they yeah. were so good. And it's almost like that art of practical effects has been lost in movie making, which is such a shame. So it's great when you see film, modern films that kind of still incorporate yeah. practical effects. I, I kind of I think I'm the same remakes for the sake of a remake. I just I just can't don't understand it yeah. when they're not necessarily a remake but there may be like a modern sequel or retelling like the new Candyman, or even there was like the new not new it was like another installment of the chucky franchise but they made it yeah. a modern version with uh, mark hamill as chucky which was really good because it was a different <laughs> take 
it was a robotic toy, like AI yeah. and all that. So it was a really different take on Chucky. So that was really cool. Yeah. But yeah, those type of ones I can get behind. But yeah, just in general, it's like, why are you remaking it? Like, just tell new stories. <laughs> it feels yeah. like it. And the yeah. thing is, going back to that, telling new stories, the reason that they aren't telling new stories is because it's just white people who are yeah. getting to tell stories. So it's like, how many new white stories can you tell? Yeah. Put queer people in there, put people yeah. of color in there, let them tell stories and you'll get better films. Like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. There, there's a reason why, you know, Parasite, Bong Joon-ho won the Oscars mm-hmm. that year is because it was an original story. It wasn't like even when a story that comes out of Hollywood is original, it's not. It's a rehashed story that we've already heard a bagillion times before. And it's just it's it's just boring it's so mm-hmm. boring and it's uh, i just don't get it I'm, I, I keep trying to wrap my head i'm like there's so many amazing storytellers out there and there's so many amazing like basis of great stories like why aren't they being made why aren't they being told and it's this thing of like oh nobody you know the only films people want to see are with straight white sexy people and it's like obviously not like that's obviously not the case otherwise Jordan Peele wouldn't be so successful Bong Joon-ho mm-hmm. wouldn't be so successful like it's just oh <laughs> it's yeah. infuriating exactly and again it just links back to that same thing of the people who are in power are old white men <laughs> like mm. they're the, like in Hollywood in fashion tech Every industry, well, tech is probably younger, but still white men. <laughs> it's yeah. just like every industry is just one demographic that's in power, which is why that we only get one perspective. And it's so, so frustrating, yeah. so frustrating. And actually, another, again, another trajectory flip, but on the, the idea of perspective and kind of like social perspective and how mainstream society has almost eschewed wrong bigoted perspective of, of to everything i just saw today that in the uk the i don't know if you're familiar with them but there is this they're a hate group but they parade as an queer organization with the lgb alliance oh yes yes yeah yes. i literally just saw that they've been granted a charity like status in the uk and it's really scary like like i know your sister is in the uk as well and i think it's like being here in ireland it's really scary seeing how much transphobia is just becoming accepted in the uk it's being put into laws and now we've got these hate organizations that are being given charity status like it feels like we're almost at like the calm before the storm that it's about to leach across here to Ireland and I'm just wondering how how do you like what do you think like the atmosphere there is in the UK at the moment like that's happening that transphobia is becoming almost accepted because of the lack of education and because of people like JK Rowling who you know yeah she's an author but she's a very she's held in very high esteem Mm -hmm. and you know um She's given a platform where she spouts this anti-trans shite and people believe her. And it's like this miseducation. I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, the UK have always been, mm. I don't know, everyone like there's this worldview that the UK and England in 
specifically is like this oh jolly we all drink tea and we're all yeah yeah the queen people forget that the uk is a colonialist power mm-hmm. that you know took over half the world abused the fuck out of several indigenous peoples including ireland mm-hmm. um they are racist they you know they're full of fucking nazi fascists and have had several in power through the years um and so it kind of doesn't surprise me when you hear of this kind of thing they've it's like they move on from one group to the other you know they've done the irish they've done you know black communities they've done the poor communities they've done you know the the asian and indian communities so let's move on to another community it's just (laughs) it's just an english attitude and it's you know i'm half english myself and it's just it's it's just disgusting but the english are a bunch of colonialist fucks and (laughs) it's just another colonialist attitude on a different group of people (laughs) exactly no 100 and it's like uh myself like as a non-binary person who was assigned male at birth that's why one of the reasons why I love to flaunt myself wearing makeup and dressing hyper femme because degendering fashion is something that's really at the forefront of what I want to achieve in society and that's another thing that we have colonialism to thank for in the sense Mm. that back in like renaissance era high heels skirt like dresses skirt like stuff like that they were all for men to like high heels were yeah. for men to seem more powerful because <laughs> almost like the Napoleon complex, I guess, if you're a small man, you're going to feel like you're not that powerful. So you need to be taller. And then like skirts, everything. So much of that was originally for the ma- masculine male gender. And then in other cultures, indigenous cultures, like in the Americas, other parts of the world, there was two spirits. There wasn't an idea of the binary gender system mm. people were just people and then the english colonialist dicks came across yeah. and were like this is how things are now and yeah. you're right it is it's a lack of education and what frustrates me is that it's one of those things where a lot of and i think it's a lot of almost people who would classify themselves as allies but mm. there's a lot of this thing of not wanting to do the work yourself Mm. As in, you're like, yeah, I'm fully in support, but please educate me. Like expecting the person of the marginalized community to do the emotional labor rather than doing the work themselves. And that's kind of thing I think what frustrates me the most is that the resources are out there. The information is there. There's no excuse not to do the work. And I think it comes down to almost this fear of rocking the boat, of not wanting Mm. to change your perspective like how do you think like we and again I guess it comes down to almost like an individual basis but and people having to do the work themselves but how do you think globally but also particularly here in Ireland we can have that social shift to being more accepting because it's the Irish like tourism board like Ireland, like we love to say that we're super accepting and all that yeah. but we're really not. We're also very institutionally racist and bigoted. And just because we legalized same-sex marriage and we also put into power abortion, not that it's really happening the way it should. That's another point here. <laughs> but even though we've made some progressive changes, we're not 
that much of a progressive country when it comes to attitudes that we have yeah. towards marginalized groups. How do you think we're going to get that social shift? I mean, cis white allies absolutely need to put the work in. They need to be calling out their friends. They need to be calling out their elderly relatives. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's about calling out um, those people who are making these comments, who are, you know, being... Um, discriminatory or racist or transphobic or homophobic and they need to put them in an uncomfortable place so they start learning that you know what like your shitty rape culture talk isn't going to stand here your racist talk isn't going to stand here I'm going to fucking call you out whether you're my best mate my mom my granny I'm going to fucking call you out and like being there for the black communities for the transgender communities um for the the femme communities and and really being vocal about your support now that doesn't mean to talk over them that means to help them get on to that you know that pedestal to have a voice to help them do not talk over them do not you know ask them to educate you because there is so much resources online like ho- just flicking through Instagram reels, 15, 30 seconds, there is so much information out there. Um, do not be asking people to educate you unless you are willing to pay them. Do, do not speak over them. Do not, you know, just, just do the background work, you know. Mm-hmm. Do, do the groundwork, which involves calling people out, which involves donating if you're in a, a position to do so donate to charities donate to activists um you know stepping back when you need to to elevate someone else of that community um and just being just being a better fucking person mate like you know just just be a better fucking person like um during the summer last year uh, an instance in my friends group where someone used the f word the homophobic slur and you know i called them out i made them really uncomfortable it started a massive fight or whatever and you know um my partner was one that really kind of went to town and like you know called them out on it and said for them to get out you know because they're being homophobe um but they were like they were like oh i'm sorry if i offended you and it's like i'm sorry if I offended you and then they were like oh why don't you educate me and I'm like oh. no and then it was stuff like oh but my best friend is gay and you're like get the fuck out oh. <laughs> get the fuck um, out there's a, that's that's always one of the where it's yeah. like I that one black friend of course I'm yeah. not right like it's just that thing like, yeah that's... as well as calling out your mates it's also about doing that own internalized work it's mm-hmm. unlearning you know it's unlearning all these biases that as a white cis possibly straight person has been ingrained the world is built for white cis straight people so Mm -hmm. of course we're gonna have these ingrained biases but it's up to us to unlearn them and it's up to us to check ourselves and to learn from our mistakes and you know just take on board what black people are saying what you know indigenous people are saying what Asian people are saying what trans people say our job to listen to them and to unlearn our own biases 
yes I just I'm just like nodding away because I just agree with everything and again I don't know if you've ever listened to Brene Brown like she has I love her podcast so much but every episode is just like I mean almost bawling like because it's just so transformative but she has this brilliant phrase which I just it's one of those mantras that I'm almost taking into my own life but it's like I'm here to get it right not to be right and I think that's something that everyone needs to have as their own mantra, their own internal philosophy, like um, in the sense is that's the important thing is in so much people like kind of, especially when you're being questioned by a marginalized community, so many people go on the defense, they kind of put up their like walls rather than being empathic and listening to what's being said. And you see it happen a lot in online spaces and also like internally within activist spaces as well, as in people of a marginalized community calling out an activist for something that they might have said which is wrong and that activist going well I'm an activist I'm advocating for you yeah yeah putting their defenses up but uh yeah you're right it is that thing about people doing the work themselves and not centering themselves and I think like you said about it's that be a better person do that work like kind of I think a reason why a lot of people lack that ability is because I think personally for myself, and I wonder what you think, but personally for myself, I think it comes back to our sexual education programs because mm-hmm. sex ed, particularly here in Ireland, but it really is kind of almost globally, but sex ed is really much a biological essentialist thing in the sense that it's just about procreation. So it's just about cis het sex, but also it's, because it's just about procreation it completely leaves out pleasure but it also leaves out emotional intelligence Mm. and being able to like understand your own emotions understand your feelings being able to have that dialogue with your partner or partners and I think going beyond the sexual realm to your wider life I think that's like people aren't taught how to be emotionally intelligent. And I think that's where a lot of bigotry, ignorance comes from, because people don't have that ability to kind of understand their own feelings and emotions. And I wonder if you kind of think there's a similar, if, if, if that's one of the reasons, or do you think there's another kind of main reason why a lot of people aren't great at being good people? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I definitely think that's part of it. Um is that we're, you know, in school, we're not taught, as you said, we're not taught emotions, you know, taught how to logically, it sounds really weird, but to logically think about our emotions. Yeah, you know? no. um, uh, I mean, a lot of the time when we talk about gender roles, uh, AMAB people are taught to not show emotion unless it's anger or stoicism or, you know, and then, AFAB people or femmes are taught that they're too emotional and you know their their emotions mm-hmm. are too much and anything they do is because of their emotions and they're just a big ball of emotions so it's like it's this really weird thing where you're basically taught no matter what gender you are you're basically taught your emotions are wrong <laughs> and so you grow up and unless you go through something unless you become part of a community where you're forced to unlearn this kind of thing or you Mm -hmm. go through a hell of a lot of shit and have to go to therapy um you are gonna grow up basically thinking you should meet everything that isn't 
you or what you associate with as anger like you're you know if a person doesn't reflect who I am or it doesn't reflect uh, my beliefs or whatever I'm going to meet it with anger because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just what people are basically taught to do um so yeah I definitely think emotional intelligence is a, a thing that we definitely need to start teaching our children about 100 percent um because it, it will do good for them and for you know teaching empathy is just a basic it's such a basic emotion empathy but it should be taught and we should be teaching our kids to have empathy and to not meet everything with anger you touch on a really good point there in that so much globally so much of what schools are and education is is this one very narrow perspective of what intelligence is Mm. in that like you know when it comes to like IQ tests and stuff like that which have a hugely racist history yeah and but it's this it comes down to this one very narrow view of what intelligence is so if you don't meet this specific requirement of what basically is kind of academic intelligence then that means you aren't intelligent so it's only one type of education is being given one type of intelligence is being fostered rather than a comprehensive education Mm. and I think there needs to be that shift as in education itself shouldn't just be about intellectual information. Education should also be across the board about emotional intelligence, sexual intelligence, mm-hmm. um, or just like sexual education and experience. Like all those things that make up what humans are is what yeah. education should be. But it isn't. Education programs, schools are just one type of thing. And at the end of the day, the reason is because of capitalism. <laughs> and yeah. we're literally training workers. That's yeah. what our school systems are. Like the fact that homework is a thing. Yeah. That you can't escape <laughs> your yeah. work. It feels like it's is there any hope? I don't know. It's like yeah. almost. I mean, I definitely bleak. think being online and being in like online communities of parents, there's definitely a new movement of um, what they're calling unschooling, mm. where they're basically saying to teachers, "I'm not going to make my kid do homework. My kid mm-hmm. goes to school between these hours, and when they come home, they're them." And they're spending time with their family or they're spending time outside or doing music or whatever they love to do. So there's this, a lot of people are now taking their kids out of school. If they, they're in a position to do something out of school and they're homeschooling them. So they're giving them the basics of what they need to do to, you know, they still have to do the leaving cert or junior certs. They're giving them the basics of what they need to do for those exams, but they're not teaching them in a factory like setting where everyone Mm -hmm. has to be the same and you know I mean I've always said that I'm like I'm such a punk like parent (laughs) because I'm like my kid will not you know I don't want him wearing a uniform as much as he can I don't want him wearing a uniform because I don't agree with uniforms I think they're Mm -hmm. freaky I think they're creepy like why Mm -hmm. would you want kids to all look the same I mean I know they say about like bullying and whatever I was still bullied even when I wore a uniform, like kids will find something yep. to bully you about. Like, exactly. you know, and I don't agree when people are like, oh, you can't have brightly colored hair in school. You're like, why? It's not affecting me learning. Like, so I'm like, a teacher, a school will never dictate 
my child's body or what my child looks like and I'll fight to the fucking end about that you know about piercings I'll be like well (laughs) it's not affecting their learning so who cares you know if you're going to prevent my kid from learning like that's the only thing preventing my kid from learning is you I don't agree with homework my kid you know if he doesn't want to do homework I'm not going to force him to do homework like I remember times where I would get you know every teacher would be like oh I want you to spend an hour a night on this subject and you'd be like well I have eight subjects so you want me to spend eight hours after eight hours being at school doesn't make any sense and I remember I used to have such bad anxiety and such bad ulcers because I was so stressed about homework because Mm -hmm. I I couldn't understand a math problem and if I didn't have the math problem done the next day in school I'd get detention and like I just lived in this perpetual state of fear and anxiety because of school and I will not have my child go through that as well like never I'm really against, <laughs> kind of against <laughs> school. But one thing I'll say to Nate when he grows up is if you get 80 points in your leaving cert, I do not give a crap. Go traveling. And then at the age of 23, you can get into whatever course you want to get in because you'll be a mature student. So <laughs> I'm just going to be one of those like punk moms that is like, don't fuck with my child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like apl- silently applauding, not to disturb the mics. But yes, I'm just like all of the yes to that. It's yeah. just like, we need more <laughs> parents yeah. like you. Yes, like 100%. I completely agree with that. And I think that's like a really, I think, hopeful message to probably bring us up to a wrapping up point of the show. And I think that's, just yeah such a good message of hope after a lot of bleakness that came up on this episode i'm starting this thing of ending each episode with three questions so the first one which like each time i ask this i'm like always just like i just know i'm either gonna get like a really inspired answer or a really interesting answer because not everyone knows about philosophy so my question is when you hear the word philosophy what kind of comes to mind oh fuck so I did philosophy um, in my first year of college because you have to do a second art subject I had my music technology which was my main thing and then I had to take two art subjects so I took anthropology and philosophy philosophy was just fucking a bunch of random dudes spouting (laughs) absolute shite and I'd come out of like I'd come out it was and all we had was like old men lecturers Mm. And I just came out of it and I was like, oh, what the fuck do you know? Like, I was just like, fuck you all together. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my thought on philosophy. I'm just like, you know what? Like, I, if I'd have gone into college and they talked about issues of today and people from today, like, they talk about all these old philosophers and you're like, yeah, cool, okay, but that doesn't resound with my life and it doesn't resound with, like, the world Mm -hmm. I'm living in now. If you want to talk modern-day philosophy, you listen to rap music, you listen to music that comes from people who have something to say, you watch the movies that come from people that have... That is modern-day philosophy. I don't want to be fucking talking about some old greek dude like i'm sorry <laughs> that's not love that answer so much because that's what i'm trying to achieve i guess with my podcast in the sense that for me like i've always been of the belief that philosophy isn't just this academic subject yeah. studying old white men having a circle jerk um, exactly yeah philosophy is something that people just do naturally as yeah. in people when they're curious about the world when you have thoughts about the world 
that's doing philosophy and like I just what I want to do with my podcast is to just talk and have those kind of conversations with people so yes I love that answer so much so thank you for that okay brilliant and that's why I love that question because I get a different answer every time (laughs) great and okay so next question uh more simpler (laughs) but what is something right now that is kind of just currently giving you joy something that you're joyful about um well apart from I probably have to say like getting married that you know I have to say (laughs) compulsory Um, answer (laughs) yes um you know I'm very excited for that um but I'm actually one thing that's make apart from my podcast as well one thing that's actually making me really excited is myself and my partner through this lockdown we've become closer creatively so Mm. he's got he's got this amazing studio of space and the stuff we've been creating recently together, whether it's for like my cabaret and burlesque videos, whether it's we're putting together like photo uh, photography sets, we just seem to be bouncing off each other really creatively and working like bef- before, if we worked together creatively, we'd be like really taking digs at each other and just mm. not getting on well at all. But it's just recently we've just been like creating absolute magic together when it comes to like creative things so that's probably one thing that I'm really like yay like one thing that the lockdown has actually done for us that's fantastic and I think a lot of people will probably have had I know myself I have with my gender journey but a lot of people I think will have had similar positive outcomes from this whole lockdown thing because it was literally the entire world the way we did things came to a stop and forced us to have that kind of change so yeah yeah, that's really that's a great thing great that that's come out of it fantastic (laughs) and also yay for wedding coming up equally yay (laughs) last question that i'll ask is what is something other than being the best punk mom possible but what is something that you are hopeful for could be just yourself or kind of like wider society but what's something that's kind of giving you hope in general um I'm kind of hoping that uh kind of the next generation is going to be a lot better like the boomer kind of Mm-hmm. slash gen x gen- generation like i really hope that you know the next kind of parental generation is going to be a lot more open um something that we touched on when we chatted about uh raw that they'll just be having safe spaces mm-hmm. everybody for their kids for whoever and that everyone's just a bit more open a bit more understanding um one thing about the lockdown you know it's it's made kind of activism become quite creative online so as I said Mm -hmm. you know the Instagram reels it's 15 to 30 seconds but you get so much information in those 15 30 seconds and people are becoming really creative with it and it's just yeah I just hope that the next kind of older generation which will will be us to a point is just going to be you know the when the millennials get a bit older I suppose we are quite old now. Like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Old as eighties. We're nowhere near old. <laughs> but you know, I just hope with all this information, with all this, mm-hmm. like, how open the world has become through social media, through stuff like Instagram, is that it will just be a nicer place. I mean, there's always gonna, we're always gonna have to fight against the status quo. But I just hope that it's a little bit of a nicer, you know, kind of it's just a bit nicer and, and people are realizing that you know that there are people that have different 
ways of life and it's okay to accept them and it's not a change isn't a big scary thing you know it's just something to go with and it's you know let's just be cool let's be cool everybody (laughs) (laughs) exactly and I think that's a great and positive message Um, but yes I think 100% and I think that's kind of what keeps people like us who are very you know in the social justice activism kind of landscape it's what keeps us going is that hope for what the future that we want to create yeah. so 100 100 so before i let you go if you could just plug your podcast where people can find you on social media stuff like that yeah so you can find me uh on instagram at oh golly it's miss dolly um and also my podcast um at what a screen podcast um i bring out two episodes a week one is the full episode and another is a mini review episode I do with my little sister um and that is on pretty much all streaming sites um yeah and I'm yeah I'm probably most active on my Ogolly Instagram where I regularly put up photos of me (laughs) in an array of outfits um but yeah that that would be where I am Thank you so much for coming on as a guest. It was a wonderful conversation. And everyone go look up Miss Dolly and also Water Screen Podcast. I highly recommend it. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and everyone listening. I hope you're having a wonderful day, morning, evening, whatever time you're listening to this at. Hello, listener. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. If you would like to be there for the next stop on this adventure, then please like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow my Instagram, which is mixbellmorrigan. That's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. And tell your friends that you too want to help make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.